Hi, it's really great to have you with us. I'm Rob Porter. My wife Heather and I have the amazing privilege of being the senior pastors at Kingdom Culture Church in Burpengary, Queensland. We have an incredible preaching team and I hope that this message will encourage and bless you as you listen. Um, let's just remain standing just for a second because the crux of the matter is are you going to live by who you say you are or are you going to live according to what he, who he says you are I am who you say I am not I am just today I am who Joel Brewer says Joel Brewer is what he says about himself or what your mum says about you or what your husband in the car park said about you are you going to live called according to his purpose I am who you say I am I don't think we're finished with this song we're just going to go back into the refrain part the guys will lead us just just because we're going to go into Ephesians, we're going to make, we've got a great word. The word of God is just amazing. Um, but let's just marinate in that just for a few more moments as the band lead us. I'm chosen, not forsaken, or whichever part I said to do, which I've forgotten already. But let's, um, let's go back into whatever I said. Oh, it's free indeed. I'm a child of There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Through the sun sets free. Oh, it's free in me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my There's a place for me. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Through the sun sets free. Lift your hands up this morning. Through the sun sets free. Oh, it's free. morning God that delivers us from ourselves delivers us from what the enemy says about us delivers us from our past and releases us into a future we thank you this morning God and we lift our voices across this place this morning we love you Jesus we love you with all our heart we will not stay the same but we will walk into the destiny that you have chosen for us this morning in Jesus mighty name and everyone said we love you Jesus and then and then thank you take your seats 
this morning. Thank you, band. Incredible worship this morning. Just wondering if we can get the house lights up just a little bit because I can't, I think I'm on my own. I could hear you but not see you. Ephesians is a beautiful book. It's beautifully written and it's beautiful to read. And all of those who just said yes to that, it's because they've read it. I'm sure all of you had. It really is the most beautiful book to read. And I love reading. Anyone love reading? Is it the solitary sport of the introverts? I don't know. I love reading, but not Kindles or tablets. Paper pages. You can turn those while you're swinging in your hammock, drinking a cool drink, warm summer days. And yes, Fred, some of my books have got bagel and peanut butter squashed between the pages and coffee stains, but it's my book. Get your own. It's my friend. Anyway, I fell in love with reading because I fell in love with Miss Miller, who was my English teacher. I was 14. It was a bit of a scandal, really, because she was an old lady of 24. But I didn't care because I was really smitten. She introduced me to Shakespeare and made made it make sense. She introduced me to Kill a Mockingbird, a book that I have read more than any other, besides the Bible. Praise you, Jesus. Hallelujah. She introduced me to Dickens, Great Expectations, another favourite of mine, already a classic. Um, you know, and a classic, to make a classic make sense to a 14-year-old is a gift. You know, she explained all the nuances and allegories and Victorian vocabulary and all the stuff that was hidden in the pages. And when someone who loves the subject matter can impart the same love for the subject matter, that's an anointing of sorts right there. That's right, isn't it, Caleb? When you're doing your ministry, you don't want to just be teaching stuff. You want people to love the stuff you're teaching. It's got to do something in you. The Word of God does something in us. It should fire up a love and a passion for the Word of God every time we read it. Not a tick list to get through, but a passion and a fire for the Word of God. Why? Because He wants us to be skillful in the Word and for the Word to um, take root in us and do its work. And so this is the skill and the beauty of what Paul does for us in his writings especially in Ephesians. It's, it, it stirs me each time I read it for a fresh love for God and the story that he's writing about your my life. That's really important. A book should take you on a journey. It, it should build a narrative that carries you forward and then it should bring you to a conclusion like the great reveal or the dramatic twist. A great book should leave you wanting more. Ephesians, the purpose of Paul writing with Ephesians was to leave us wanting more. Paul's letter to the Ephesians was written because Paul had history with the Ephesian church. And we covered that in um, the book of Acts preaching. Who loved the book of Acts preaching? 
chapter 19 tells you all about Paul in Ephesus. Now, what is amazing to me is that my job is a great job, I think. I call it a job, but you know what I mean. It is, because I get to talk about the subject that I love. The thing, and, doing, and going through the books of the Bible, you know what? It should stir a love and a passion in the Word for us. And it does. So more is written about the church at Ephesus than any other church. And Ephesus sits at the intersection um, of a major trade route, the city of Ephesus, north, south, east and west. It was a large port. It had a theatre which housed 24,000 people. This is thousands of years ago. I mean, it's amazing. So it had a massive pagan temple. Everyone go, oh. Yeah. Which was dedicated to Diana or Artemis. Um, actually, it was a temple dedicated to a big black meteorite that fell on Ephesus. Now, the meteorite, we're getting real here, was covered in bumps that the Ephesians believed resembled the female breast. I didn't write, I didn't write it. I'm just telling you what happened. And so this meteorite was believed to have been sent by Diana to Earth. So they put it on a special altar and they worshipped it. Classy. That's what, classy religion, that one. So little replicas of the meteorite were made in silver and gold. And the gospel becomes so effective in Ephesus that the trade for Diana trinkets dried up. And what happened was, oh, right, yes, good result, girls. Good result. So riot ensues. And, but Paul had a really successful ministry in Ephesus for two years. Many people came to Christ, but there's nothing more likely to fire up the wrath of those who are making money off religion than threatening your livelihood when truth comes to town. And so all these angry silversmiths, they run Paul out of town and he heads off to Macedonia. So it's widely believed that Paul wrote uh, to the Ephesians when he was imprisoned in Rome. This is about 30, I think 30 years later anyway, a considerable time later. Uh, he did so at the same time that he was writing to Philippians and Colossians. So I know you will, you know, I'm just going to set up why, because this is really important, because we can leap into Ephesians and do the whole doctrine bit that you really want to get into, but we have to have context. There's always a context to why he wrote. If we miss the context, we will not understand what we are reading. There is a cultural thing that he is going after. And we'll just have a quick talk about that. So he was inspired to um, write to the Ephesians, the Colossians and um, the Philippians because of syncretism. Syncretism is a fusion of diverse religious beliefs and philosophies and practices. So new age, everything coming in and, and into the possibly into the church. And it was his way of presenting an undeniably clear exposition of Christian belief and behaviour. And you know what? Never more have we needed a book like Ephesians. Never more has the church needed clarity around our beliefs and our behaviours. Our beliefs and our behaviours. Our beliefs and our behaviours. You cannot separate the two. Do not tell me what you believe if I can't look at your behaviour that backs up what you believe. Thank God for a man like Paul who pushed through his own personal discomfort, his fear, his anxiety. We always, I don't know, Paul is always painted as this just hard nut. You know, who nothing would... I reckon there were times when he was like, I feel like I'm on my own. 
I feel like I'm the only one carrying the truth. But he pushed through and he leaves us with a story that we need to live by. So Ephesians was originally one long letter, but the letter um, <clears throat> falls into two halves. And so what, it, what they did was they divided up, when they translated, they divided up into six chapters. And when they did that, um, they put in, naturally into three chapters and three chapters. And those chapters, uh, the first three chapters set up the last three chapters. If ever there was a summary of the gospel, then Ephesians is it. If ever there was a summary of Christian belief and behaviour, then it's found in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And what I love about the first three chapters and then the second three chapters is this. So in the first three chapters, we see his majesty, his purpose and his power. In the last three chapters, we see our walk and the warfare we must partake in. So what does that mean for us? First three chapters, salvation worked in. Last three chapters, salvation worked out. First three chapters, what we are saved by. Last three chapters, what we are saved for. First three chapters, forgiveness. The last three chapters, holiness. Justification. Sanctification. Divine sovereignty. Human responsibility. So the first half of the letter outlines how salvation comes to believers. The second half shows how they should behave once they've become believers. The beginning chapter of, of the beginning of chapter four, which is the bridge, the word therefore. I just love that little detail. Therefore. So what he's saying is the one, two, three is the setup. Four, five, six is how you do what you're supposed to do well. See, all this amazingness, one, two, three, which we're going to read in a minute, is to empower us to live amazing lives of amazingness, amazingly. Paul was saying all this amazingness is nothing if it doesn't turn your everyday lives upside down and inside out. Heaven, we've been talking about kingdom come, we're talking about heaven on earth. This is what he's talking about. Fits beautifully in where we've been. So the beauty of this story is that whereas other books, they take us into a world of fiction, mythology, fairy tales, this book transforms our lives. Inside and out, and it turns us into a living story, what that can be read of all men. A story's got to affect this, the pages of this book, my life. So chapter one opens with a beautiful uh, Jewish-style poem which Paul, where Paul praises God for what he has done in Christ Jesus. It's written as a poem. And for this reason, we're going to read the whole of this chapter, uh, most of this chapter in the message version, because this version of the book is stunningly beautiful. Okay, we start off first. I, Paul, am under God's plan as an apostle, a special agent of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus, writing to you, faithful believers in Ephesus. I greet you with grace and peace poured into our lives by God, our Father, and our Master, Jesus Christ. That should start to stir something up in you already. I don't mind if you get a little excited because I am already excited for you. I've got enough excitement for all of us. But 
A special agent, Paul said I'm a special agent. A special agent is somebody who's dropped behind enemy lines to infiltrate and bring down the occupying forces to establish a beachhead or a vantage point. This is what an apostle does. This is what an apostolic anointing upon a church does. It is the God of the breakthrough. Apostles punch through. And I want to tell you something. We may not be the Apostle Paul this morning, but if you are part of a church that has an apostolic anointing upon that church, there is an anointing upon all of us to punch through the circumstances that have held us back, to punch through the mindsets that have taken us captive, to punch through the lies of the enemy, to punch through the addictions, to punch through where the enemy has said to us, it was this way then, it is this way now, and it is this way it will always be. There is a punch through, anointing upon this house today and moving forward into the future if we want it, if we want to be special agents for Jesus, drop behind the lines in our families, in our workplace, in our schools, in our universities, in our churches. We can be those people who are anointed under an apostolic anointing to bring down the lies of the enemy. How blessed is God. And what a blessing He is. He's the Father of our Master Jesus Christ and He takes us to the high places of blessings in Him. Point one, the power of spiritual blessings. God lives in a state of continuous blessing blows my mind that he's just blessed all the time. But of course he is because that's where it all emanates from. But the context that Paul is writing about is Ephesians knew great wealth. They knew great wealth. The church knew great wealth. So what we're understanding though, he's not just worthy of it all. And I love that song, as you well know. He's worthy of it all, but he owns it all. That's what chapter one says. He owns it all. Shut up, you little people. He owns it all. I own it all, but I loan it out to you. And one day I'm going to require it back. That's a bit sobering for a Sunday morning. Man thinks he owns it all, but really it's all on loan to us. Don't forget that when you struggle to honour God with your portion of the wealth he has given you. Remember that when you struggle to honour God with a portion of the wealth he has given you. He owns it all. The devil owns nothing. Do you realise this morning the devil owns nothing? I am going to keep repeating that until you start shouting because the devil has tricked you into believing he owns stuff about you. The devil owns nothing. Jesus is over all. It, the kingdoms of this world and of, this, of Christ and in the heavens and all that ever was and ever are, if you read in Ephesians, are given to Jesus. Nothing is owned by the devil. He doesn't own the space between your ears. Stop telling yourself he does. 
oh, I sinned last week, or I sinned 20 years ago. I did the intolerable sin or whatever it is, the unforgivable sin. I know I did. I'm sure I blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't even care if you blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. So you haven't. He doesn't own the space between your ears. Jesus does. It's time to get him to vacate. He doesn't pay rent. It is good, Carl. Stop being the landlord to your bonds, your brain. In, <laughs> I went back to being an English person. Um, stop renting it out. Invite Jesus in. He wants to live there. In your brain, in your head, day after day, morning by morning, new mercies I see. Amen. Blessed is be God who blessed us with every spiritual blessing. I'm going to cut to the chase on this. So, he wants us to understand blessing. And I'm going to cut right away here. The blessing that he wants to understand us is that natural blessing comes out of spiritual blessing. Natural blessing comes out of spiritual blessing. There is not one person in this room who is more blessed than me. And the truth is, there is not one person in this room more blessed than you. Because everything, every blessing comes from the hand of the Father. And another little bit of real estate just went. Because the enemy cannot get you on that one. Because you have not crippled yourself. You have not shot yourself in the foot. You are who he says you are. Point two, the power of being wanted. Now, this is all about predestination. Yes, I know. Um, Turn to your neighbour and say, brave man. So we'll have all the Armenians over here, all the Calvinists over here, and all the seriously screwed up in the middle. Before, before we get into it, I think we should read what the Bible says. Good idea? So long before he laid down the earth foundation, let this start to get you excited. He had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his love. I don't, it's stuff preaches itself. To be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are a free people, free people, free people. 
free of penalties and punishments, chalked up by all the misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. Aren't you glad, Justin, this morning you are abundantly free? Not just a little bit free, not just a tinsy bit free, not just a bit free when the devil says you're free, but free because Jesus set us free. He thought of everything. Whoa. It's a bit, I was, just a bit hippie-ish. I said, whoa, man. It's just like, he thought of everything. Provided for everything we could possibly need. Use this shouting ground. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything will be brought together, summed up for him. Why summed up for him? Why for him? Why for Jesus the Son? The gift of this world, the gift of the people for the Son in honour of the way he laid down his life as a sacrifice. It's in Christ that we find out who we are. Well, and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of salvation, found yourselves home, free, signed, sealed, delivered by the Holy Spirit. I can hear somebody humming that. This down payment from God is the first instalment on what's coming. A reminder that we'll get everything God has planned for us, a praising glorious life, that's why. When I heard of the solid trust you have in the Master Jesus and your outpouring of the love to all the followers of Jesus, I couldn't stop thanking God for you. Every time I prayed, I think of you and give thanks. But I do more than that. I ask, I ask the God of our Master Jesus Christ, the God of glory, to make you intelligent. Amen. Not spiritual. Of course, that's true. Intelligent. We just need a few more intelligent believers. When you read Proverbs and it says, hold the word, my words to your heart, it will make you wise. That's the intelligence he's talking about. What do you run through to, rather? What do you run to in the times of doubt and fear? Are you intelligent? You're blaming the devil for your lack of intelligence. I will comfort myself with this when I know that this will bring me health to my bones, wisdom for what I need. Your eyes focused and clear so that you can see exactly what he's calling you to, to grasp the immensity of the, this glorious way of life he has for his followers. Oh, the utter extravagance of his work in us who trust him, endless energy, boundless strength. Now, <clears throat> there are hot topics in the Bible and sizzling and glowing <clears throat> right in the middle of Ephesians 1 is the whole subject of predestination or the doctrine, doctrine of election and it's all very hushed. So discussion around predestination, it might not be currently trending in the top 
Christian hot topics alongside my ministry, my calling, my prophetic words, my love life, my sex life, my online presence, my needs, and my happiness. But the reason I'm raising it is not to put for, it, for it to be a hot topic. It's for us to, ha- us to have an understanding that it is set up for the last four, three, sorry, chapter four, five, and six. It's a setup because you have to understand what God has called you to, who is and why He's calling you. So, when we have an understanding, we will conduct our relationships in the correct way with a love for God first. And whether we like it or not, this understanding includes, did I choose God or did he choose me? So we're going there. It's never wise to overlook the gnarly bits of scripture uh, because we want to move forward to the parts of the book that make us feel lovely. Ephesians 1, we find Paul is building a story which I've talked about and a case around predestination. And I found that under scrutiny, it doesn't cause me to doubt God, but rather it strengthens my belief in him as a good, good father. 1 John four seventeen says, God is love. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear, since fear is crippling. A fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. We, though, are going to love. What are we going to do? We're going to love. We, though, are going to love. Love and be loved. First, we were loved. Now, we love. He loved us first. This is the crux of predestination and we'll go take it a bit further. So we recall a line from Ephesians 1 passage that we just read. Long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Amen. He settled on us and the, as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Now, imagine walking into a party, you've been invited to a party, all your friends are there, and you meet someone for the first time, and within two seconds, you point to them and you go, you will love me, you will marry me, uh, 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 because I said so. It goes against everything we know pertaining to the law of love, of sacrifice, of loving by free will, doesn't it? You wouldn't do that. If you would... Pastor Fred would love to pray with you afterwards. I don't have that anointing to break that off you. It's also why we read earlier Paul talking about predestination in terms of adoption. Okay? Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ, it says in Ephesians 1. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift by the hand of his beloved son. And I can speak with authority and confidence in this area of adoption. So having spent a long time planning for adoption, for Fred it was six months, for Gabby it was seven years. Before Fred knew us, we loved him. I don't understand the science, but I do know it's true. We saw his photos We saw a video of him cutely running around in his little dungarees at two years old. And it was long before we we had a hope of love. A hope of love. A hope of love. And the big day came when we finally met him. And all that love and the hope was shining in our eyes. I know it was when we met him. And in that over-enthusiasm we had 
to make him like us as his prospective parents. And Paul says as much in Romans 1 as he talks about how God can be clearly seen in the beauty of the natural world and the wonder of the stars and the universe that we see at night laid out in all its beautiful glory. He says a wonderful example, perhaps an excited, over-enthusiastic prospective father that he wants you to take notice and go, someone around here loves me, to set this all up. And he's hoping for a response from mankind of love in return. Don't get it wrong. He's not some lovesick puppy that needs you. He's a God that wants to share his love with you, see you redeemed out of sin and loving back to him and across into the family of God. Now, the mystery of successful adoption is, of course, is my love, my sacrificial love, my loving you by opening my heart, my home, my future to include you, is it going to be enough to unlock the love in your heart for me? Do you understand what I just said? I love you, but will it be enough to unlock love in you back? Adoption not only brings love and security, it also unlocks a different destiny to the one that you could have had. This is predestination. I look at the elaborate engagement arrangements that couples have these days. And all I can think is that you're a far, far, far braver man than me. Asking the girl to marry you on hidden camera with friends hiding in the bushes. All I can think of is what it must feel like for the guy to be left on top of Mount Tibrigargan with a sweating stale cheese board, a slice of curled salami, a group of friends who will never leap out and shout congratulations, and a ring that is going on Facebook Marketplace. But of course, that <laughs> grab the cheese and run. <laughs> but my point is, love is a risk. It might not come back to you. You can't demand that she say yes. You kind of feel they might. And that's how God feels about you. He kind of feels you might. And he kind of feels that about the person who doesn't know him at the moment. He kind of feels you might. So he will take a risk because he kind of feels you might. Question of predestination has divided believers across the ages, bitterly so. What I want to say is the exact opposite of that's the exact opposite of what Paul intended. His intention was for us to know the transformation, transformative power of Jesus in our lives. The power of being wanted. We're going to go after and pray for people this morning because God wants you. He wants you in the loving sense. He wants you. And some of you have sold that down the river and gone, I don't know. But he does. He wants you. We get the band up, that'd be amazing. Thank you. In the final. But I'm going to give it one last flyby because 
this is a really important subject. You might feel I've covered it, but I just want to say a few more things because we need to be intelligent. Ephesians says so, not me. I find part of the key in the word is in the word destination, in predestination. Destination. It's convenient. Every person, man, woman or child that ever lived or is now alive or who, who will live in the future has been pre-selected, chosen for heaven, appointed for an eternity joined to God in relationship with God. God, it says in Ephesians, settles his love on us. You are the object of his desire. To board or not to board the bus with that destination on it is up to you. God has a destination for us, a preferred future, but that will never override our free will. A mistaken understanding regarding predestination can really create havoc in your life. And it has in some people in here. And it needs to get broken off because it's not a difficult thing. It's actually a beautiful thing. Sometimes we talk as though we're just puppets, that we can't resist God. But the big thought for the day is this. We are, the word says, cooperators, co-workers with God in his plans for us and for this world. God has chosen a destination for us, but he won't oppose it, impose it upon us. See, if you're a believer in this house today, then you and I are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved in totality. That's what the Bible says at the return of Jesus. Jesus has promised to complete the work in us. That is exciting because I don't have the energy to do it. Don't laugh at me, you don't either. Now, The enemy loves it when believers spend their whole life worrying about whether they are really saved. We need to go after that this morning. It makes us impotent. It makes us ineffective in His hand as a weapon for good. God was very clear, very clear when He gave His only Son that whosoever whosoever, whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He has condemned no person to hell. Jesus said of Himself, I will draw all men unto me if I am lifted up. He doesn't draw some and doesn't draw others. He was saying, all are drawn, some resist the drawing. And some yield to the drawing. He didn't come to the conclusion that a swathe of the church has come to, oh well, sucks to be them. You and I have to keep yielding. We have to keep being drawn by His magnificent love so that we are found alive in God at the return of Jesus. What is Paul's point though in raising predestination in the middle of all the loveliness that is chapter one? It's certainly not to send me off on a tangent of misery and introspection. His purpose is to cause me to stand again in awe and wonder at the beauty of his love. Now, this is the power of being wanted of being loved. This is the power of being wanted that Jesus wants to speak into our hearts this morning. Hearts this morning. Because what was His last commandment? It was in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all men. He certainly wasn't hope it works out for them. 
Surely the thought of people resisting God should fill us with a love and compassion because we once resisted Him. It should stir us to fight for them. And that's what I was talking about last week in my salvation for my family, for my brother, for my sister, for my niece. Something has got to change in us and it has changed and it has been broken off because there is an apostolic anointing to punch through. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's message. Our hope is that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If not, we'd like to invite you to begin your journey with Him today. When we read Scripture, we see that sin separates us from God, but that our relationship with God is restored by salvation through Jesus Christ. This happens because God gave Jesus His Son to die in our place, to deal with the sin problem, and He rose again so that we can have eternal life with Him. If we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we can know salvation today. If you're ready to do that and turn from a life of sin, then pray this prayer with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. If you've prayed this prayer for the first time today, we would love to know and reach out to you and support you. So please contact us at hello at kingdomculturechurch.com.au.